0: Jesus, we are grateful that you have sent your Holy Spirit to come and to be with us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill this place? Would you fill this place with your presence? Would you fill us, the places that are are dark, the places that are broken, the places that are in need? Would you come once again? Would you blow? Holy Spirit, God, we need you. Would you convict our hearts? Would our hearts be open and discerning to you, Lord? Would our ears be open? Would our eyes be open to see you? God, right now is about you. And so we, we align our gaze upon you again because you are holy, because you are worthy, Lord. Lord. So we give you our attention, we give you our hearts, we give you our lives, we give you our ministries, we surrender everything to you again, Lord, and we say, would you have your way? In your name we pray, amen. Um, so if you can't tell, today's going to be on and popping, because I feel a little, who Holy spirit and so um, <clears throat> I'm just going to go ahead and extend that, you know, superhero, uh, Spider-Man-ish all on you guys, so... If you're new here, um, we don't talk about Spider-Man, Holy Spirit don't really work like that. Um, (laughs) We have a passage on this little piece of paper, and today we are talking about um, the rich man and the poor man is a theme that we started last week. And so today we're going to talk about the rich man and Lazarus. And so go ahead and take a couple of minutes to read the passage. We're in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. Um, Go ahead, read it by yourself, and then in a couple of minutes, I'll just ask you guys to break up in small groups and discuss it, all right? So I'll give you guys a couple of minutes, and then uh, we'll break up. All right. I'm intrigued to hear what you guys are thinking about the passage, and so uh, we'll have a little time of talk back um, that we can share with the community. Maybe you can ask a question. I have two of my favorite leaders in the back with mics. Uh, Nishu and Joes. And so if you have a question, go ahead and raise your hand.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that um, when I've heard about this passage in the past, it's like Jesus never used actual, like, personal names in, yeah. in parables. And in this one, he does. He uses the name of Lazarus. And I, I just, my theory is that maybe,
0: you know, when you name something, you give it an aden- an identity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Jesus is kind of, like, honoring the poor man by giving him his, an identity. Like, yeah. this is Lazarus. This is a,
1: a real person.
0: Yeah. This is the only parable where someone is given a name. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about, um, I think of worth, because when you're important, people are, are definitely, um, they make sure that they see your name. They know your name. If you're important, they're going to make sure they get your name right. And so the rich man does not have a name, but the poor man who no one cares about does. Jesus somehow does this reversal, which he does a lot. He reverses things in this passage. And we see a lot of reversing in this passage, but that's one of them. So cool, who else has a comment or a question? So kind of like on that same note of like all the people to send back to his family, he's asking to send back um, (coughs) basically a beggar that was at his gate. And like, it just makes me wonder, like was there nobody else that his family would have like been closer to or like anyone else that he could have sent is like, is Lazarus the only person that he recognizes, basically, and that his family would recognize that he could send? Yeah. That's, in tr- that's interesting. I mean, I, I look at that part of the passage, and I'm like, you have the audacity. You ain't even talked to this man. You know his name, though. You, because you were saying Lazarus, you know his name, but you have the audacity now in death to go ask him to go do something for your family. Maybe I'm the only one that felt that way. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. But I was like, you... I mean, for real, rich man? Go on, sit down somewhere. Um, But I don't know. I wonder if, I wonder how disconnected his family really was. And maybe that is an interesting thing. Where are the rest of the people that should have gone back to his family that they would have recognized? I wonder where they are. Are they with Abraham or are they in Hades? Who else? Hey Josh.
1: Hey. (coughs) So one thing we noticed was that um, when it says it came time for both of them to die, and then it says in Hades where he was in torment, kind of like really matter-of-factly, the only thing we know about him was that he lived in luxury, Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like as a matter of fact, he was in Hades. So Mm -hmm. like, what is that like saying? It didn't say he was evil or he did bad stuff. Mm -hmm. So kind of the question is like, is that all? (coughs) Like, is that a Is that like the reason that he went to Hades? Yeah.
0: A really great question. Why is he there? Because it doesn't say. Same thing for Lazarus. It doesn't say. Um, But I wonder if it's because he let Lazarus starve. And I don't know how he got his money. I don't know what he did to uh, gain so much wealth. I think back then, a lot of times, people did a lot of immoral things to get so much money. But it doesn't seem like that's what the Lord is even trying to talk about, like how he got his riches, is what he did when he actually had the riches. He still didn't do anything, not even a crumb, not even nothing. And you having a party every single day? Not even a doggy bag? So I I wonder if that's one of the reasons or the reason. Um, And I, I wonder if that's why the Pharisees are so upset as well. Anyone
1: else? Hey Keisha. Hey. So um, I have no clue what that was. <laughs> anyway, a few thoughts is one, why Abraham? Mm-hmm. Because he was mentioned and very specifically mentioned that, you know, um, Lazarus sat next to him. Mm-hmm. So it's like why did Jesus choose Abraham in the very first place to use as a person from, you know, from the Old Testament and as well too, um, in our group we were talking and someone alluded to the fact that um, as they were going, as he was asking people to go back that Abraham said, you know, like even that you have Moses and the prophets and that if you couldn't listen to Moses and the prophets, like nothing that you could do, even if you said someone from the dead, that they would not listen. So almost an allusion to like even the forwarding, the foreshadowing of Jesus Jesus dying and then Mm -hmm. coming back. So it's like, what does that speak of as well too, Mm -hmm. when it comes down to that fact?
0: Yeah. Um, I think the image of Abraham specifically, when we talk about like a banquet table, there would be um, a head and there would be someone that would sit close to the head that was the person of honor. And that person would be laid back, almost um, laid up on the host. And so Abraham who the Jews kind of saw as their father, like the father of the Jews, um, that was who their hope was to see and so for them to see the father, the, the, the place that they were supposed to be, the, this place of hospitality, this place in which that they were dreaming of to have Lazarus there in the place of honor, I think is interesting. That it's, Again, it's the switch. Um, because even when Abraham talks to the rich man, he calls him son. He knows who he is, but he's not with him. Um, and I think it does allude to Jesus. And you know, if you don't believe what you have, nothing else, you can, I remember when I was gonna, you know, thought I was gonna get married, or before I thought I was gonna get married, I was like, Lord, I need you, when it's the right one, I need you to fire, like, fire to come down from heaven, because I need a sign, I need someone, I need to know, because I don't want to make the, and it's just like, you don't, actually, you don't, you still not gonna make the right decision, you still gonna date that boy that is stupid, and doesn't, is gonna treat you terribly, you know what I mean, like, and so, I think that the idea is, like, even in death, you know back in, in these days um Jewish law was like you listen to what is written that was a part of their culture and so if they weren't already listening to what was written they're not going to listen to anyone else so maybe one more oh hi um, Thank you, sir. oh oops uh-huh. i i, I got the mic and oop. i'm speaking so oh oh i oh. <coughs>
1: <laughs> ladies first. Ladies first. Ladies. Oh, okay. I don't All know. right. I don't know what stuck that. out to me most is um, how dogs came and licked his sores. Mm-hmm. And they could even acknowledge and, and know the inner person, you know the, you know, the beggar. And that in this life, we can't take anything with us. Because mm. I've I've buried an exorbitant amount of people <coughs> in my lifetime. And not one single person was able to take anything. And, you know, how important materialistic things are to us. Yeah. You know, um, and it's comforting to know that the more that you suffer on this earth, the more riches you're going to be rewarded in heaven. Yeah, I I like that part. Thank you.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, the dogs in those days were like rats; they were unclean, so it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a good thing. Like them licking Lazarus probably was painful to him. So, over here. No, uh, I just want to follow up with a question that Josh had because I think we forget that Abraham has some dough. Uh, Abraham was a pretty rich guy, but he's here.
1: And so when we ask, like, why is someone there? It clearly is not just money or no money. There has to be more to the story. And so when Abraham is remembered, though, in in the Bible, he's not remembered for all the stuff he had. Mm -hmm. He's remembered for his faith Mm -hmm. and what he did. And so I just think we need to kind of remember that when we're, and not just go for the simple answer sometimes.
0: Yeah. I think there was one more up here. I just want to talk
1: about... We kind of hope it works. Hello, hello. So uh, this guy made a request that is kind of like dear to his heart, like, can you go tell my brothers? You know, like, a lot of times when we're in pain, we remember just ourselves because Mm -hmm. the pain is so, so much. But for him, what is actually going to be more painful is for his brothers to come to the same place. Mm. So for us, what are we doing to our brothers and sisters Mm. while we're still alive? Do we want to wait for that moment when it's, like, too late? Yeah. So. That's
0: good. Thank you for sharing that. I think... At that point, I'll jump in. Uh, Thank you guys for sharing what stood out to you and the questions that you had. It's always really great to hear what you guys are thinking and what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay, I'm back. I I don't. Is it me? Is it not me? All right. So as I look at this story, I'm reminded, especially where we see the end of their lives. I'm reminded that I really love happy endings. I really love happy endings to movies. I really love happy books. Do I need to switch? Come on, man. Y'all know I want the Janet Jackson mic. <laughs> <clears throat> Am I here? Okay. Um, And and don't get me wrong. I don't mind uh, conflict and heartache and drama and pain and suffering in all of those things. But I like them to end in victory and triumph and rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and all the good stuff. Um, I, I think that's why I like superhero movies so much. Because the purpose of superheroes are to save the day. So I already know, before I even watch the movie, you gonna save the day. And so I'm like, they're for it, excited. I don't care, it doesn't matter. So they gonna try to kill Superman, they can't s- kill Superman. Oh, but wait, they killed Superman? That was crazy. But anyways, they brought him back, of course, because you can't kill Superman. But I like it because I like resolve. I, I like to know, you know what, the ending is coming and, and you know, um, there's gonna be some kind of like great moment that I can cling on to and so I wait for that moment and the thing I don't like, especially when I'm caught off guard, you guys, are three little words at the end of a movie. To be continued. Especially if I didn't know that it was gonna be a movie that was gonna be to be continued. Like let me know in the beginning, this is gonna be a trilogy. Like let me know first part of three. Because if I go in this movie and I'm thinking I'm gonna have some resolve at the end and then I'm like, wait, what? I gotta wait a whole year and a half to know what happened to this person? I do not like that. I remember in college, okay, so I I grew up in Belize um, when I was in high school and so we did Caribbean literature and English literature from England. And so I didn't read like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, so I didn't know what that was. So I go see Lord of the Rings and spent 15 hours of my day and I'm like, okay, you know, went to the bathroom four times, had lunch and dinner, and I'm like, okay, we're almost done. We're going Frodo? What? Wait, this ain't. We're not done? Nobody told me. Like, let me know in the beginning that it's going to be a to-be-continued. Because I think I just like to know that the plot is going to end well, and I hate when it, it's rough, and then it ends, and then at the last minute, they flip it on you, and then they end the movie, and then you're just like, a bunch of tears, or like, I didn't know that was coming, and I just, I don't, because I think I already get my daily dose of drama every day from the world. I I just got to go on my Twitter feed and get that. I just need to go on the news cycles and see the drama of the world. I can go and see the devastating endings of the world every single day. And so when I go to my entertainment, I don't want to see that because I hear it all the time when I go into the clubs and see women, I hear it. And so maybe that's why as a kid um, I would read the end of my books first, all the time. Because I just needed to know what was gonna happen. Like prepare my heart, let me know because it was super important to me especially there was this book series called Choose Your Own Adventure. I don't know if you guys ever remember these books. They were super popular in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, that's how they look. They're really old, y'all, they're really old. But um, I think Goosebumps did their stuff. Yeah, but that's, that's not the original. This is the original right here. And what you would do is they had this super unique thing. Um, they were written in the second person. So the reader was the protagonist. And so as the book uh, went, you became like the spy or you were the private detective or you were the doctor or you were the students that were supposed to be in school but you're in the haunted house. Don't know why you're in the haunted house but you're in the haunted house. You're a part of the storyline. And you had a specific role to play. And then every couple of pages, you were given, some suggestions as to how to continue the story. And you had a dilemma. What would you do next? Because you could morph the the adventure. You could shift and twist and turn the adventure however you wanted to. And so sometimes it would say something like, you know, if you wanna go into the abandoned building, uh, turn to page 15. Nope, not turning to page 15. If you wanna call the police and call for help, turn to page 49. Yes, go on to page 49. Because, and I just wanna say this, I don't like scary things. I think people think I'm like brave and bold because I go into strip clubs and I go to dark places with created. but Jesus makes me brave. I'm not brave on my own. Fight or flight, better believe I'm flying. I got wings and I'm flying. So I think the, the suggestion up here says something like, you decide to look at the corpse? Nope. <laughs> On to the second suggestion. That would probably be me. Um, so I would, I would uh, read the ending of these books and sometimes these books would have four to eight endings and other times they could have 20 to 40 endings. So I would study, I would read all of these endings and try to figure out which one was the happiest. Which one was the best one? Because I needed to know where I was going. I needed to know how to get there. So I would read those endings, and then I would start the book and base all of my decisions with the end in mind. The end was my goal, so each decision mattered. Each choice I made either drew me closer or pushed me further away from the happy ending I was looking for. And I was determined, you guys. I was determined to persevere because I knew the end that I wanted to get to. But do I live my life like this? Do you? Do we live our lives always with the end in mind? As we move from moment to moment and from breath to breath, do we live with eternity on our minds? We should, because we already know the end of the story. We know the hope in which we are living for, but I wonder how many times we make decisions and we don't think about the lasting kingdom implications they may have, especially decisions that are made about our money and the resources that we've been given. I look at this passage and I think Jesus is trying to warn us that the love of money separates us from the world and our future. And it is a future with him in eternity. I wonder about the rich man and I wonder, you know, did he know what his eternity would look like? Cuz it was horrific. Cuz this man, he forsake Lazarus day after day, after day, after day. He chose not to help a starving man by giving him one crumb off of his table. He decided to not care about the world right outside of his wall. He instead decided to love himself, to love his family, to love his friends, to love his affairs, to love his interests first. This rich man who was not even given the dignity of a name was buried in darkness and in dirt and sentenced to a lifetime of torment and pain. And I look at him and I look at his story and I look at the middle part where we jump in and I look at the end and I just think, what happened? Where did he go wrong? because I know that he wasn't always bad and bougie. I know that he didn't just wake up one day and was like a bad person. I know he wasn't always cold and heartless, right? No. I believe it started small. It started with a small but deliberate decision to not offer help, to not extend mercy, or to be gracious with what he had, to use his money for parties and purple dye and not think about anyone else. It started when he let money define who he was, when he let money name him. And this left him with a heart of stone, with deaf ears and eyes covered with scales. the rich man could no longer feel or hear or see the Lord because he had built a wall between both of them. And every choice he made was like a stone. And those stones piled up on top of each other until it built a huge wall. And that wall kept Jesus out and kept the world at a distance When I used to work with CREATED as a director, I would go and um, intentionally try to make connections with people in the community, Uh, specifically um, small groups and churches. And there was this one church that for a couple of years I was trying to really build a relationship with. And so when this pastor called and said that he wanted to meet, I was really excited so we, we met at his office and we were chatting and the, the conversation got deep pretty quick because we started talking about um, the homeless population. We started talking about vulnerable women in the sex industry. We started talking about um, how the church has neglected these populations. We started talking about the world and what the world is doing and not doing and we just went in for it. And then he asked me this question He looked out his window and he said, what do you think about this metal fence that I have around my church? And I stood up in my chair, looked at him in his face because I realized this is probably going to be the end of this relationship. And I said, you know what, I, I definitely think that you are trying to keep the people you don't want in out. and sat back in my chair. And he looked at me and he laughed. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's definitely right. And guys, something in that moment broke me because not only had he built a fence around his church but he had also built a wall around his heart. Guys, he could no longer see the Imago day and the Lazaruses or the created women that sat at the entrance door at his, at his front door, at his gates of his church. He could no longer see them. He could no longer see the Jesus in their faces. He could no longer hear Jesus in their stories. He could no longer even sense the presence of the living God when he walked past them. But it didn't, it wasn't always like that. I remember when he was reminiscing of the days when he was doing outreach in those communities. And he had this like this raw kind of love as he remembered. I saw it in his eyes. I remember I can see that there was this love that he used to have for the neighborhood. It wasn't always like that. He, he told me of the days when there wasn't a fence and there wasn't a wall that separated the community and his church and they would have a lot of different projects and open-air meetings and stuff that would bleed into the streets. But something changed in him. And he remembered the day that it changed. He told me, he said, it was the day that we got the money to build a new sanctuary. And then we got the money to buy the lot right next to it. And we built a building there too and we had to protect what we had. We needed to protect what we owned. And somehow in that moment you can see the grasp of the kingdom slowly loosening from his hands, and he continued to talk and just say, "You know, like we were also gaining like wealthier and more famous uh, members." And he start telling me the names of some people I knew and some people I didn't know, and I'm like, oh, "I don't care about those people. I don't know who they are." But he's like, "They wanted to feel safe when they came to this part of town." And they also wanted their cars to feel safe, too. Because all cars matter. Right? So he decided to build a fence. And that fence went up, and the Lazaruses that once were his family, who sat at his table, became invisible. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to brash this pastor, this brother of mine. I pushed into him in love and he received it. He was open. I mean, the fence was already up. But he was open to me. But what I'm trying to show is that all of us have the potential to be the rich man too. Because when we make decisions with our resources that are not eternity focused, we too build walls, stone by stone by stone. And when these decisions are made out of things of fear and greed and selfishness or just laziness, these stones soon become walls. And these walls cut us off from the heartbeat of God. These walls block our view from the Lazaruses in our community. And we don't even know that it is destroying our hearts, our souls. We have the potential to build walls. But we have to remember that we build walls one single stone at a time. And as a mom, I'm trying to make sure my kids aren't building walls around the place because they're always building forts and junk and trash. Um, I'm trying to make sure that their souls are not destroyed by video games and greed and Flaming Hot Doritos and Cheetos. (coughs) You know, I love my boys. They are 11, Jaron is 11, Evan is seven. And I'm doing my best to disciple them, to discipline them, to love them, to teach them to fail well. I'm reminding them of their worth when the world tells them that their lives don't matter. I play set and phase 10 and Monopoly deal every single night. I tell them to eat their vegetables. I tell them to clean their room. And their dad does the same thing, too. But there's one distinctive role that I play in our household, and that is that I am uh, the creative one. Mm -hmm. So that means when it comes to schoolwork, all projects, all creative writing projects, that's me. Right? So science project, uh, social work, um, social studies dioramas, uh, Dr. Seuss day, you you need to dress up like... Cat in the Hat, that's me. And then my husband, he does math and math, and then um, every other thing that has to do with math. And so it's clear, we already know that, so the boys already know. And I can do, don't get me wrong, I can do second grade math, Evan is in second grade. But he already, he's like, I'll just wait for daddy to come home. I'm like, yo, I can do second grade math. Now, my 11-year-old, he's in sixth grade. I'm like, I'm going to need you to wait till daddy to come home. Because <laughs> you know I got a social work degree for a reason. Um, so there was a day Evan came home and he had a writing assignment. So I was like, yep, that's me. Come on in the kitchen. I'm cooking. And he's like, you know, I have to write a small essay. So I was like, okay, what's the question? And he's like, if I had a million dollars, what charity would I give it to? And I'm like, okay, Channel Side Academy, you over here trying to teach my kids how to give and be, you know, little philanthropists and stuff like that. All right, I see you, Channel Side. All right. So before I could even say, okay, do you know what a charity is? Before I could even give him the weight of what a million dollar is, because he still thinks you can buy a house with $100. So I'm trying to tell, I wanted to let him know, like, how much a million dollars is. He was just like, but I already know. I already know what I want to give it to. So I was like, okay, tell me what you wanna give it to. He's like, I wanna give it to an animal shelter. So I was like, okay, and he was like, yeah, because I wanna find home for animals and places for animals that don't have anywhere to go. So I'm like, okay, and so before I could even say anything, Ryan, my husband who's in the other room, is like, no, no, no. And I'm like, me and Evan both looking at each other in the kitchen like, is he talking to us or is he on the phone? And so I'm like, so I'm I'm trying to talk to Evan again and I hear, no, no. And he gets up and he walks into the kitchen and he comes into Evan's face and he said, Evan, when you are given a chance to care for people or for animals, you always choose people. And so I'm like... This isn't a ma- this isn't a math equation. <laughs> I got this. This is like in my realm. Like, I, I do didn't know. And I, just to let you know, like I got it. It's creative writing. I'm creative. I'm gonna help him. Ryan ignores me, and he gives Evan a five minute dissertation on how the world cares about animals, and who don't have homes and who they don't care about people who don't have a place to lay their heads and he starts laying into Evan and now I'm like okay whoa this boy is seven years old Let's just pull it back a little bit. Like, okay, Ryan, you get a little intense right now. As we're trying to make dinner, he already started, you know, and I'm trying to affirm Evan because he came up with this idea. He already had a little outline. And so I'm trying to affirm him and I'm like, you know, he's trying to be creative. But in the back of my head, I'm like, Evan, you're not slick. I know you want a dog. You in here talking about you care to give to some, like, charities to save the animals. You want an animal. I see you. But anyways, I'm like, but still, but still. I know it was a play, but still, I'm like, okay, but we got, you know, let's just pull back a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. Like, just hold on. He has time, Ryan. He has time. And I I was fighting and pushing back on Ryan when I should have been more like him because Ryan remembered something that I had forgotten in that instant. He knew that this was the moment to teach Evan about the poor and about money, so he taught. And he taught Evan what the faces of the poor look like and how to steward the little bit of pennies he had in his piggy bank in a way that would honor God. Ryan felt this sense of urgency to say something in that moment. He felt a sense of urgency to teach and to train and to disciple he chose to make a decision because he had eternity in mind, and he wanted to ensure that Evan had eternity in mind as well. But I had fallen asleep, lulled into the comfort of this world by the lullaby that says, it's okay to wait. There's no need to rush. Take your time, Keisha. Take your time. It's Okay but if I fall asleep, who will teach my boy? And if you, if you fall asleep, who will teach the world? We must be alert for every opportunity to disciple our communities about money. We must use our voices because we cannot allow them to be silent anymore. In love, we need to also go and teach our communities to to have the sense of urgency to ensure that every decision they make with their money and their resources reflect the heart of God too. Who else will teach your microchurch members? Who else will teach your neighbors? Who else will teach your coworkers if it's not you? Who was supposed to teach the rich man and didn't? And we do it no matter how awkward it may be. We do it if that person has two copper coins or two million dollars. We do it if that person is seven years old or 70. We do it if it's a made up homework assignment or a real life decision. We do it because we must teach. We have to train. And we should always be looking for an opportunity to disciple. I'll invite up the worship team. I was reading this week um, (coughs) about this pastor named uh, Q Jean Marie. He's in Los Angeles and I was super intrigued by him because he used to be a part of a rap group called the College Boys and now he's a pastor. And I was, he was telling about his story, how he came to faith and he said he was watching Malcolm X and I was like, what, you're watching Malcolm X? And he said, at the end of Malcolm X, he felt like he heard the Lord say, I want you to do something like that in my name. And he was like, what does that mean? I don't, I don't even know what that means. But he gave his life to Jesus, and he left the industry, and he started planting churches. And about 11 years ago, he felt a call to plant a church called the Row Church. And the Row Church is in the heart of Skid Row in Los Angeles. And if you don't know about Skid Row, it is known as America's homeless capital, where many people are struggling with homelessness, where little shanty towns actually build themselves into the road. Has a a terrible history of hospitals dumping human beings on the street there because they didn't have any more money to pay their bills at the hospital has a history of a lot of police brutality and even this week there was um, video that was released of a killing that happened of a man that was killed on, um, on Skid Row about a year ago. This is the place where Lazaruses live but are unseen and unwanted and uncared for. And here is where he decided to start his church and they meet on a corner, and he says, I meet on a corner that you cannot see the other side when you're walking up. It always feels like the unknown, and it's a little scary, but I plant my church right there, and I share Jesus, and I share my life, and I share food. And this really awesome thing happens. The men and the women of Skid Row, they start to call the church at first, they call it the the street church. And then something else happened. They started calling it... The church without walls and I know our community had a church without walls but this this is actually the church without walls and I just started looking you know has that ever happened to you you watch one video and then you go to the other video and then you see another video and then somebody else did a video on him and so I just watched probably 20 minutes I was supposed to be writing this sermon and I just 20 minutes watching videos of Pastor Q and I was just moved by him. And there was this one moment where he says, every time I give a sermon, I give an altar call at the end. And he's like, I remember this specific night where I gave an altar call and one guy came up and I was about to pray for him. And all of a sudden I heard someone from across the street or something say, me too, me too. And they're looking around and they didn't see anything. And they kept on hearing me too. And they looked up at the Los Angeles mission on the roof. There was a woman who had been listening to the message the entire night. And she yells from across the street, me too, I want to give my life to Jesus. And he has a little mic and a little setup there and he said, we see you. We see you. Pray with me. And he leads the woman on the roof and the man that's in front of him through this prayer to salvation. Guys, and I am moved and I'm shook as I'm watching these videos because I'm realizing that's what we are meant to be. That's what happens when we do not have walls. I think that's what the rich man should have done. He should have, he should have broken down his wall so him and Lazarus could have had community together, could have eaten together, could have said, I see you. I mean, Lazarus should have asked if he couldn't do it himself to ask the Lord to tear down those walls that separated him from Lazarus and from God himself, to help him surrender his resources and his dreams and his hopes and his fears, surrendering everything that had built a wall between him and God, because the world is desperate for a wall, I mean, a church without walls. And as we end, as we come to communion, I just want to take a minute to be honest about everything. Because I know that there may have been moments in your life where you probably didn't make the best decisions about your resources. Moments where you didn't give or share or loved well. Maybe there are moments where you ignored the Lazaruses on your street or at the traffic light or at the grocery store. You didn't help. You didn't offer a meal. You didn't see the Imago day in his face. Maybe you've missed an opportunity to talk about money because you thought it was inappropriate or politically incorrect. Maybe you've just fallen asleep, lost sight of the kingdom, and just want to live for yourself. But God, but God in His grace and mercy, He sees us. He knows us. He knows our hearts. And some of us in this room, we have built walls and we have made choices that have built walls. And I'm here to remind you that God is strong enough and He wants to break through those walls. And some of us, maybe, some of us, we have hills. They're not walls yet, but they soon will be. And he is reminding us today that he is God and that he is strong enough and that he wants to mow that hill to nothing. He wants to flatten it. And maybe there's others of us that have been doing it for a while. And maybe we have a stone. And I'm here to remind you that God is strong enough and that he wants to kick that stone into the sea of forgetfulness. See, God can take those stones meant for walls, meant to keep people out and turn them into bridges, allowing for people to come in and bridges that build, um, that, that bridge gaps between us and him, both here and in eternity. Where are the places in your hearts that have stones that need to be removed? Do you have a wall? Do you have a hill? Do you have one? It doesn't matter how much you want, how much you have. God is big enough. And as we come to communion, I want to invite you to allow him to come in again. him to break apart the things that are not of him and for him to rebuild the things that look more like him we know that you are enough and so for the ways small or big that we've taken our eyes off of you and not stewarded our resources in the ways that honor you and the Lazaruses in our city forgive us Jesus help us to make decisions that build bridges here in our lifetime but also in eternity Help us to keep our eyes on you. God, help us to keep the end in mind every time we make a decision. Lord, everything belongs to you. So would you have your way, God, as we surrender ourselves to you again? God, would you have your way in us? The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance. i